0: Welcome to another episode of Disrupt. I'm Home Healthcare News editor Andrew Dowlin. Today, our guest is Kevin Smith, the CEO of Best of Care, provider of home care, care management, and moving services in the Northeast. In this conversation, we get into the Medicaid versus Private Pay conversation, how the company is trying to become a more holistic provider of home care services, and how it plans to grow over the next three to five years. But before we get into that conversation, a word from our sponsor, Care Academy. Care Academy is like the Netflix of healthcare. With more than 500 engaging classes to train, retain, and upskill care staff, Care Academy's unique platform takes your training to the next level, all while saving you time. Easy to use mobile classes make learning accessible anytime, anywhere, with support for multiple languages. Level up with specialized certifications in areas from dementia to mental health. Simple compliance reporting makes your audits a breeze. Achieve cost containment using text messaging, interoperability with multiple ecosystem platforms. Visit careacademy.com to start a free trial today. Kevin, thanks for doing this. Let's just start for the audience that may not know you, a little background on you and how you got to Best of Care in the first place.
1: Sure. Um, I started with Best of Care in 2007. So I am, uh, just about to hit that 16 plus year mark. And really, I started, uh, as a newly, uh, graduated person from college who, like many people, just really wasn't sure what I was going to do. And my father started this company in 1981. And I took a flyer on, uh, working with him and for him really um and said you know what this is sort of a big opportunity i should probably try this maybe i can rule this out of my life and move on to the next thing uh clearly i'm still here but sort of the background of it in the journey was that i did literally every single job you could imagine at best of care uh, right out of the gate so i was hiring people. I was running payroll. I was uh, going out and helping in the field during emergencies, um, uh, going out, driving home care aides to work during blizzards and inclement weather, making sure people got what they needed, doing emergency grocery shops for clients, um, and then slowly sort of, you know, grew into the leadership role that I've been in since really two thousand eleven or two thousand twelve now and eventually became CEO in 2019 and uh, I'm an owner of the company as well and um, yeah I'm a second generation family business owner so that's sort of the journey from A to B and um, I still feel like there's a a, a lot left here uh, for me to do
0: well first of all, I think that's awesome that you did get to experience all those different roles. I assume that gives you a unique and advantageous perspective on things. Uh, When you hit pain points, when you hear from caregivers that X or Y is bothering them. And uh, I'm sure it helps with retention too, uh, which we'll get to a little bit later. First, can we get an overview of the company, just the census, the locations, the service lines you offer?
1: Yes, so uh, at this moment, we have uh, a little more than 400 employees at the company. As you know, in this industry, uh, on any given pay period, there may be a uh, few extra people who uh, picked up some work and got on the payroll, a few people who didn't, PTO, time off. So it, it's always sort of a fluid number, um, but that has uh, that has held pretty steady. Um, you and I talked recently, and I, I mentioned how proud I am of retention right now, and anytime you can see that number kind of hold fast, it, it it's really meaningful. Um, far as the census goes, about 1,500 clients. There really is not much seasonality to home care, as we all know, um, with the exception of some folks here in Massachusetts who might spend their summers uh, either on the Cape or Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard who who need some help. And we've actually been lucky enough to work with some of those families and actually transition off the Cape for the remainder of the year. Um, And we've set them up with with some employees who have done such a great job that we've, we've kept those people uh, on a year round basis. Uh, And then the locations we've got, I believe it's eight offices now um, spanning from Cape and islands. We've got an office on Nantucket an office on the Cape. So about as far East as you can get in Mm -hmm. Massachusetts, all the way out to Springfield in Western Mass. And additionally, uh, that's where our move management uh, service, Moving Mentor, they're headquartered out in Western Mass as well and a number of locations sprinkled throughout. So there are quite a few places where uh, we have support staff, either full time, part time, or as needed, ready to come into the brick and mortars for training, for education, for supplies, client meetings, anything like that. And then the service lines, um, I just mentioned a moment, moment ago that we acquired Moving Mentor, a 26-year-old move management firm um, headquartered in Western Mass. But they served, historically served, families in Connecticut, in New York, uh, Vermont, uh, as far north as Maine, other parts of Massachusetts as well. And we really do expect to add more business in all of those areas. and. Move that firm eastward to, towards our highest concentration of home care service and care management service so that all of our service lines can complement one another in the context of one family. Um, our other uh, service line, in addition to home care, is with Tucked In Elder Care. That's our care management firm, uh, which we started in 2018, actually. And uh, the bulk of their geography is on Nantucket, uh, the Cape and Islands, and South Shore of Massachusetts. So those are those are the primary, oh, and excuse me, we also um, purchased a few assisted living locators, franchise geographies uh, last summer and early fall. And with that business, which is a, a franchise business, something new for, for me certainly, uh, that allows us to help families who are looking for assisted living um, transitions, moving, moving from home to an assisted living. Our representatives will help with that process. Um, they are incredibly resourceful. Both of the people on our team have worked in the assisted living industry, in the executive director role, in the uh, liaison and sales and marketing roles uh, for a number of years and that's also starting to develop as another complementary piece to this holistic model that we've built out and um, something that we're starting to get excited about.
0: Okay, fantastic and I do want to stay on the retention piece for a little bit. As you mentioned, we talked recently and I know that retention has been good recently at Massive Care. Do you mind sharing uh, any of the successes you've had there?
1: So the thing that we have come to prioritize is the moment that someone goes through our onboarding process which ironically thanks to covid uh and how limited we were with a lot of face to face and in person stuff it really forced us to figure out the best way to get people hired quickly in a way that we felt was safe that we were Comfortable with that was appropriate. And we've taken that model and used it in this, what we can, I guess, sort of now call the post COVID world as well, where we can hire new people expeditiously and position them in front of our scheduling coordinators who handle all of our intakes and manage the schedules of all these uh, employees. And we've been able to get folks hired quickly. And then make sure that our schedulers understand the importance of getting work onto their schedules immediately. And if you can really find a way to prioritize and win the timing battle, you can get folks out to work very quickly because we know it's there. We know that there's work to be done, people waiting for care and you can put them in the town or city or community where they want to be, you can really make an excellent first impression on that person because you are putting your money where your mouth is. All of our job posts, all of our ads say work close to home, make this much, starting pay of X or a range. And when you deliver on that, that's something that we find our employees are sharing with friends, family, personal, professional network and we have helped build uh, what has turned into sort of the successful employee referral system. It happened simply because we've sort of done what we promised and hired people and started them getting out to work quickly.
0: So we, we also talked about your Medicaid and private pay mix. Uh, when you became CEO, I believe that you said You were 95% Medicaid, about 5% private pay. That's now closer to 70-30. Firstly, I want you to take us through uh, why you decided to get involved more in private pay when you took over, and then also why in the future, though, you'll still be more focused on Medicaid, some of the factors behind that.
1: So that time period that I referenced, which it it actually, that was, that that 95-5 split, We can actually kind of go back to the the early aughts there Um, and maybe even early 2010s. And at that point in time, the private pay versus Medicaid scenario, the rates were upside down, meaning private pay had outpaced some of these stale Medicaid rates uh, dramatically. And... That was really the impetus for me to say, why don't we try to get a piece of this market share, meaning the private pay market share, where the margin is far more favorable for us, and then leverage that profit into hiring efforts. Because at the end of the day, for me, any any time I've spoken either as a guest on a podcast or or as a contributor, it seems like I'm always tying it back to the workforce because it simply is, as providers here, it, it is a bit of a race to try and find as many quality people as you can. So we knew that we could take that margin, reinvest in hiring, recruitment, retention strategies, and use that to expand ourselves, both in size and also in scope and geography. In addition to the margin, uh, aspect of it. I also knew that I had I had started working at this company in 07. I had seen some changes in the way that uh, our Medicaid-based business was changing, both from a, a regulatory environment in terms of things like training and education and compliance and audit. Um, and you have to think ahead and know that. Anytime that you're working with government-funded dollars, you're going to be subject to a really compliance-minded strategy, which is fine. And that's something that we've always been happy to comply with and and haven't really faced major challenges with. But um, when you know that there could be unexpected change, you have to be able to bank on something else. And so... As cliche as it sounds to diversify your revenue streams, I knew that we needed to do that. And so those were really kind of the main drivers was take that margin and use it to try to find more people to do more work, because you've also heard me say volume is king in this industry. Um, And then also to, again, sort of hedge that bet and ensure that we weren't going to just be totally pegged and staked to one specific stream of revenue that could be subject to change or or market forces could force something to change beyond our control.
0: Yeah, and then I guess sort of ironically, it's private pay that's been seeing a lot of the pressure recently because of, you know, uh, bill rates have gotten really high, at least in certain parts of the country where providers are thinking about getting into Medicaid, whereas you sort of uh, went, went backwards in that process, but now you have this healthy mix so why are you bullish on Medicaid moving forward?
1: I, I wish I could take credit for that, honestly. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely the beneficiary of kind of this legacy model that uh, really all credit to my dad, Steve, uh, who who started this business in 1981 and obtained several contracts over the years uh, with state-funded home care entities. And grew it to a point where when I came in, there was some history and some infrastructure and some really solid bones to take this thing in a different direction. But yeah, it is ironic because we see so many companies now who they start out as a private pay organization and who can lend them, right? Like If you think about the franchise networks, they are hyper-local they buy a certain territory and they're trying to find that private pay business. And again, why wouldn't you? You know that it can be more lucrative. You know that the rates are oftentimes more advantageous from a reimbursement standpoint, and you can negotiate and control them. And you can do things like create minimums and say, we're only going to take a case, uh, we're only going to use a four-hour minimum or an eight-hour minimum in some cases. So there is a bit more control um, over the structure when you start out as a private pay company. But the reason you're seeing some of these people shift gears now is, you know, this this concept that maybe this thing has hit its cap and not to mention COVID exacerbated the number of new companies coming in. And we know that the demand for home care is splashed across every media outlet. so. When there's a low barrier to entry to start your own private pay company, it does make some sense to try and throw your hat in the ring and get involved. Most people are doing that again, you know, on a local level, and you realize there are already ten other companies, and you're competing to try to talk to the same care manager or go to the same council on aging, and you all want to leave your brochure at the same place and you know some of these tried and true activities that people use to try and grow their businesses, and that's not That's not a knock. That's not me trying to shade them, but you run into some competition. And so for the companies that grow and scale and start as private pay, Medicaid is a very logical place to look because from a demand standpoint and from a volume standpoint, you're dealing with this massive aging population, aging at a fast clip whose needs are more and more acute and more and more states are recognizing the value in spending on home care as opposed to nursing home or facility-based care. It just so happens that my company went the other way around, where we already knew the Medicaid business. And so private pay felt like a very natural and sort of logical sort of you know extension for us to take. So um, again, I just think that for the larger companies who have the the resources and the people power to do it, it does make a lot of sense to pursue Medicaid because there's always going to be work. You're not waiting for the next huge case. You're not pounding the pavement trying to get that next case. It's already waiting for you.
0: Yeah, and obviously that helps with staffing too, right? Because you can sort of promise your caregivers this consistency of work that private pay doesn't always offer.
1: Absolutely. It, it, it's the, in, in my opinion, it's one of the, the biggest advantages we have is that we can tell them there will always be work available. If you can tell us what your availability is, where you can go, what your accommodations are, what your preferences are, we're pretty certain we're going to be able to get you to work.
0: Have you considered, Kevin, any other alternative models? Um, You mentioned some of the other areas that you're already in in terms of service lines. Have you ever considered adult day or being, you know, like a partner in hospital or home care or one of those other emerging models that we see centered in the home?
1: I think it's pretty clear. Well, I'll try anything. (laughs) I'm something of a risk taker as evidenced by the fact that we now have uh, a care management business, a move management business, assisted living locators, placement services, uh, private pay home care and uh, traditional home care. I mean, we, we try to be something for everyone at our company and we have. We have yet to be involved with any real involvement in an uh, adult day. They've been on my radar for sure um, because in many ways they do fit a need that blends uh, a cost-effective way uh, to split time between getting in-home care to get up and get ready then go to an adult day Take advantage of great programming, socialization, and all the benefits that go along. Those are all, that's kind of settled science that adult day is an effective way for people uh, to get out of their homes and interact with other people while getting the care that they need. I support it. I just have not yet had much real experience. Um, I certainly think that a company like ours is well-equipped, more than equipped, to provide the Human power behind locations. And I, I do think that at some point, folks in that adult day space may tire of the recruitment angle because they're no different than us, where they are going to be looking for the best quality staff that they can find to work in those communities. At some point, maybe some of them will say, you know what? Maybe we could shed a lot of expense and partner with a best of care or uh, insert home care name here who specializes in this and a trusted brand, a trusted name who already does all the right things in terms of human capital and leverage that type of partnership that I'd be very interested in. Um, And then what was the second piece? What was the other? um...
0: Hospital at home or any of the the more emerging care models that sort of came out of the pandemic.
1: Yes. So, um, we're pretty excited. We, we were selected to participate in a hospital-to-home partnership program uh, in uh, Massachusetts here with one of our state-funded contract partners and a hospital, Beth Israel Hospital in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And we are going to be the in-home care provider, whereby um, people who go to the hospital through this grant funding may be eligible for home care immediately upon discharge, high volume of home care provided by us. We are also going to provide a care management piece to communicate the progress, any challenges or any issues or concerns back to the social work team at the hospital to make sure that we're following and appropriately documenting and appropriately sort of supporting this transition with some wraparound services. And the hope is that by providing this kind of expedited authorization of home care for folks coming home from the hospital, we can alleviate some of those, quote, familiar faces in the ER. And this is clearly going to be a system in which we can track the outcomes and the successes or the challenges very easily. And hopefully we can use it to justify that this is a winning model. And uh, we hope to hear more about when this might start, but it, it could be starting as early as this fall. And so maybe that's something we can follow back up on together. Um, because I think it is definitely, I think it's a smart model. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but I know it's something that we're excited about. We're going to identify a team of caregivers who are kind of like our quote unquote task force when. Mm-hmm. They know they'll they'll hear if somebody's going to get discharged. They know that when they get the call, it's sort of a drop everything. We'll retain them. They'll be given a stipend in order p- to participate on this team, and they will be incentivized from a pay rate standpoint. So, yeah, it, it's it, it's an exciting and, and sort of intriguing way to approach discharge in the name of preventing readmission.
0: And so, Kevin, looking forward in the next three to five years. What will successful growth look like to you? Where do you want to be in five years when you're looking back? What do you want to say you you were able to accomplish?
1: Well, we are actively looking to achieve a multi-state footprint. Our care management team has been excellent in their uh, service expansion into southern New England, Rhode Island, Connecticut. And it's our goal to follow all of our service lines around and sort of chase them with one another. Meaning if care management finds some footing in the state of Rhode Island, we want to make sure that we can offer private home care there to support those folks so that they can work with one organization and we can stick with them for long periods of time and help them with whatever part of their aging journey or transition they're facing. So, We're looking to develop a multi state footprint, not trying to hurry into it necessarily, um, but we want to do that strategically because a lot of our service area in Massachusetts does border those two states that I just mentioned. So it does seem like a logical um, uh, pattern for us to follow. Really, what we want to do as well is in the next three to five years, I don't know what it will look like or how I'll know it, I guess, or, or how I'll know it when I see it type thing, but. To really say that we have integrated all the services that we offer, to know that I can count on a best of care employee answering a phone and being able to process some information and say, you know what, I'm going to connect you with our move management firm, our move management team. You know what, I'm going to connect you with our care management team. And being able to identify the best of what we can do and understand. How all of our services can be integrated with one another, and that that falls squarely on me. You know, it's been my idea to either acquire or develop these services. And what we need to do is incubate them, let them grow, get some seasoning, and then make sure that everybody at this company understands, including our home carriers, um, because they are way more in tune to what is going on in our clients' homes than anybody else, more than our supervisors, more than our nurses, more than our schedulers, everybody. And so to whatever extent we can begin to involve them and also look towards upskilling them into some of these different roles, that's something that we've been thinking about and talking about as well.
0: A couple of of rapid fire questions here, Kevin, more broadly in the home care industry. What's a unique take or opinion that you may have on home care's Present or future? I'm sure you got a couple of them, but can you share one for us?
1: Yeah, I usually have some unique takes. Let me, <laughs> uh, let, me let me let me just quickly think about that for a moment here. Um, yeah, I think that in the next three to five years, home care will have escaped through lots of hard work, through lots of noise, through lots of advocacy, and through lots of effort. Home care will have escaped this minimum wage kind of underappreciated, uh, lowly paid um, designation that accompanies it in every piece ever written. And, you know, I, ca- I can speak through my own local lens here and say that I- I'd be hard pressed to find a company out there who is starting home health aides or home care aids at minimum wage here in Massachusetts. The job is not worth minimum wage, no matter where you are. And so I think at some point, you know, the drumbeat's been rising steadily. You guys do such a great job of following this and and telling the story in real time as to what's going on in this industry. I do think that we will escape that sort of... underappreciated series of monikers and names that we often get where it's you know low wage work it's going to take some more time like i said maybe three to five years but i do think that with enough people aging together who are desperate for help something will flip so let's go with that as my unique take
0: thanks for listening to this episode of disrupt for more news and insights on the home health home care, and hospice industries, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at homehealthcarenews.com. I'm Andrew Downland, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.